Welcome to Obesity, a Disease, the official Obesity Medicine Association podcast exploring the many facets of the disease of obesity. In this episode, OMA Chief Science Officer Dr. Harold Bays leads an article review with an industry expert. Obesity, a Disease podcast is brought to you by the Obesity Medicine Association, a clinical leader in obesity medicine. Hello. My name is Dr. Harold Bays, Medical Director and President of the Lobo Metabolic and Atherosclerosis Research Center located in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm also Chief Science Officer of the Obesity Medicine Association. Uh, today, we're doing a podcast on obesity and thrombosis, something, that, something that's very common, something that's very important, but something that I just don't think people want to talk about. And we're just very fortunate to have with, with us an author on a clinical practice statement that was put out by the Obesity Medicine Association, a co-author of this clinical practice statement on thrombosis and obesity. We have with us Dr. Angela Fitch. Uh, Angela, why don't you tell the folks who you are and what you do? Thank you, Harold, for having me today. And thank you for inviting me to, to help you write this paper. It was amazing uh, you know, idea to put this together, as you said. It's a hot topic, but not something that's, you know, like I said, not very sexy, right? So like people yeah. don't like to talk about it as much. Yeah. But yeah, I'm the president of the BC Medicine Association, very honored to have served uh, this past year. And I'm currently the chief medical officer and co-founder of a new clinic model called KnownWell, which is delivering hybrid uh, comprehensive obesity care uh, longitudinally to patients with obesity, a uh, patient-centered medical home. Uh, for people with obesity, combining primary care uh, with obesity treatment into one clinic ecosystem. So I'm um, happy to be here and talk about this this uh, paper that we put together. It's position well, statement. Well, look, yeah, I mean, this Physical is perfect. Because you, you, you just said it, comprehensive care. You also said primary care. So I think before we start off and anything else, when we're talking about thrombosis and everything, I, I think we've got to talk about those complications of the obesity that increase your risk of thrombosis. And specifically, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about hypertension, dyslipidemia, and diabetes mellitus. So in in, in the model and of practice that you that you do, I mean, how how do you integrate uh, reducing the risk of thrombosis among your patients who have these complications of the obesity? Well, like you said, I think we don't think about it as much, right? Because there's so many other other problems to address. So I think it's important, first of all, to to acknowledge that and say that this is something we have to remind ourselves of. Hopefully, people that are listening to this, it'll help to remind us of that, that we need to focus on this with our patients, you know, focus on good assessments of their mobility, you know, how um, other factors that might contribute. Because we know the, the inherent disease states that they have are inflammatory diseases that increase inflammation, increase all sorts of cytokines that can then, you know, lead to an, an increase in the risk of thrombosis. But then there's the lack of maybe um, less movement, depending on what uh, kind of job they have, you know, what type of other uh, physical problems they might have, their weight itself that might impair their ability to be physically active. So all those things, in addition to, um, you know, making sure you assess, you know, how, how much edema they have, you know, how much uh, lower extremity issues they have, uh, in terms of preventing that from happening as well, right? And and I think people, most people know that when you have the obesity, uh, you're going to have this this compression 
a, a Venus return and such. And we see that our patients too, yeah. with the, you just mentioned the peripheral edema. So there you go. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big part of it a lot of times. And then, and then there's that hypercoagulability a lot in large part due to that inflammation that, that you just talked about. So I, I think people know that. And if they don't know that, I mean, again, we have a free online article, clinical practice statement that goes into detail and people can look it up. Uh, but again, talk, talking about these things that maybe are underrecognized, uh, can you speak a little bit uh, to the relationship between sleep apnea and the increased risk of thrombosis? That's very important. You know, I mean, again, assessing our patients with obesity, um, you know, for a sleep apnea, I think is critical, meaning, you know, having them, uh, we have our patients, um, you know, fill out a, um, uh, an Epworth screen, or you can use the stop bang, which is another uh, a tool, you know, to see if you can also, you know, get an idea of how much risk they have for sleep apnea and make sure they get tested in the first place. Because I think there's a lot of patients with undiagnosed sleep apnea. And then, you know, when you have the sleep apnea, that, that, um, those episodes of hypoxia, those repeated episodes during the night, right, also lead to endothelial dysfunction and further, um, you know, release of these cytokines that then, again, you know, increases our thrombosis risk further. So it's all, you know, a vicious cycle that we have to try to break in all these different ways. And, it also and, increases lower extremity edema, right? Increases right. Yes, heart failure. Right. And yep. so, so patients with sleep apnea might have more lower extremity edema, you know, and so again, you know, making sure that you, you know, put that all together for them and help them to understand that is important. And, and, and I think that, again, that just circles back to what you said at, at the very beginning, this need, this, this, uh, the importance of comprehensive care. I mean, just in just in the very few minutes that we've had this discussion, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on thrombosis, but what have we talked about? I mean, my goodness, we've talked about uh, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia. We've talked about sleep apnea. We've talked about hypoxia. We've talked about endothelial dysfunction. And we haven't even gotten to the you know, arterial diseases and, and, and such. I mean, so there's just, there, there's just so much uh, uh, involved in how all these uh, consequences, adverse consequences of obesity integrate towards increasing the risk of thrombotic risk. And I must say it's, it is curious that, um, that we, it, at least in my opinion, that we just don't recognize the importance of thrombosis enough, that risk. It's so common yet, I mean, I think we all know diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, but I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, what do you think most clinicians, you know, where do you think thrombosis, um, uh, ends up being in their in their hierarchy of things that, con that concern them in, in the management of patients with obesity? Last, unfortunately, <laughs> but not because it's not, not because they don't yeah. want to take care of it, but because it's just not, you know, we know that there's so much, you know, there's such a lack of time um, and, and in taking care of patients. So that's why it's important also, I think, to sort of, you know, keep track of these things as you're, you know, seeing patients in the, in the EMR, you know, things you might've talked about relative to the disease state so that next time you see them, you can bring up something else, right? Because you're not going to cover all these things sort of at once a lot of times if you don't have the the, the, the time blocked out. But making sure you, you know, cover them um, over the course of time period as we're taking care of patients. Because many times when patients have other chronic diseases, we're seeing them a bit more frequently in that chronic disease management. And also employing the care team to do some of this work too. I mean, hopefully 
people can develop a care team model. That's what we that's what we're doing predominantly so that other members of the care team can be working on those things too. If you have a health coach, if you have, you know, um, a um, care manager, you know, other people can make sure they're sort of checking these boxes and making sure patients have been, you know, have discussed this and have knowledge too and are educated around uh, the um, these risks and these, these associations so that we can make sure that they're um, getting the care they need. Well, I, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's gotta be a team approach, right? It can't just be all all in one person, um, and I think the uh, as part of the team it has got to be the patient. I think the patients. Now we can give them guidance. Uh, now in this article, we do specify the all the various uh, thrombotic syndromes and arterial syndromes, and we, I mean that's that's a three day symposium. We're not we're able to cover those, but uh, and then as far as treatment, so we, we do we do have a table that talks about the. Uh, thrombolytic, thrombolytic and antithrombotic medications that some of them need to be adjusted based upon body weight, others don't. So all that's covered. It's in a table so people can can get that information. But but uh, I guess what I want to get from you, just from a very practical standpoint, what is the importance of of movement? Okay, movement of the lower extremities, particularly in patients. Maybe maybe they have the obesity. Maybe they have the peripheral edema, you think they're at risk for thrombosis. So what what recommendations do you give patients with obesity with regard to moving the the importance of moving uh, their lower extremities? And and added to that, uh, what's your sense about the use of, um, say, stockings, you know, pressure stockings and such? Because we've talked about how compression is, uh, or, or, or uh, edema is also a risk factor for thrombosis. So just from a very practical standpoint, whether it be movement in lower extremities or compression stockings and such, what what do you, what do you tell tell folks? Well, as we mentioned, I mean, this is something that I think patients are concerned about, right? But they're not always too excited about treating it, right? Because I mean, in, in other words, you know, the, the 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 treatment of lower extremity edema. Say, okay, someone has lower extremity edema, and you're going to say, okay, here's some options. You know, we're gonna we need to assess you for sleep apnea, maybe. Well, they don't want to go get a sleep study. You know, it's like. Um, but but that's yeah. the way you can encourage them because what they really want is that problem to be fixed, right? And so they really want that that um, uh, you know the edema to get better because it's uncomfortable or it's you know limiting their mobility or their ability to wear certain clothing and other types of things. So really focusing on that goal, right? That they want to have that better. So we need to try to you know we don't want to get a sleep study, but we need to get one so we can try to figure out, you know, how we're going to treat it. Same with wearing a CPAP, right? People don't want to, but if you tell them, hey, your edema might get better, you know, um, from that, then they they can be more motivated, right, to um, to do that. I think same with compression garments. Nobody wants to wear. Um, I like to, when we talk about, same with like having bariatric surgery or taking medication for obesity, I like to differentiate between wanting and needing, right? Because like, we don't want to wear compression garments, but we might need to wear them in order to feel better, in order to move more, in order to you know move better, right? And so again, we have to figure out ways of helping them to see that value, you know, in that treatment because sometimes the treatments aren't super fun, especially if it, when it's ninety degrees in the middle of the summer, you know, and you you have um, you know full thigh high, you know, many of the patients with obesity have to get more of a full. Um, uh, um, uh, thigh high or full garment, right? That goes all the way up almost like tights or pantyhose because it's harder to keep some of the 
the knee only garments up, right? Because of the, the, the way your body is designed. Um, and so that's a challenge. And I do find that referring them from a practical tip, you know, finding a good and, and collaborating with a good lymphedema specialist um, in your community is important, you know, to identify those, those people, because if they can go and get lymphedema treatment, it's a commitment. They have to commit to a couple times a week, you know, of going, you know, to getting this treatment, but it really gets the, the, the lymphatic system moving and, you know, gets the, the fluid back up to the heart where it can, and the kidneys where it can actually, you know, get excreted. And then they can get fitted for uh, smaller stockings, right? And they really do need to go somewhere typically and get fitted. I think it's very hard for patients just to get off the shelf type of garments a lot of times, depending. I mean, for people that maybe have mild um, edema and and their body habitus is, is such that they have, you know, fairly anatomically, you know, not as large uh, type, uh, not as large lower extremities, you know, they can a lot of times fit into regular um, off the shelf stuff. But going and getting fitted by somebody, I think is, is critically, can be helpful. Well, look, that's just, that's just extraordinary practical advice for the folks. Hopefully people have gotten value from that. I want, I want to end with this, um, this one scenario. So let's say you have a patient, uh, they've got swelling of the lower extremities. Um, they've done everything that you asked them to do. All right. They've done the garments and all these things, but you know, that's what that, that, that swelling is not going down. And and they start asking you, are, are you sure this is water that mm -hmm. I have on my lower extremities? Or is there, is, there, is there something else going on because I'm doing everything I'm being told, but it didn't get any better. It, what what kind of differential diagnosis should we be thinking about in those in those patients that seem to be, you know, especially resistant uh, to these um, interventions that you mentioned? Yes, and that's super important that we cover in this article is um, the a condition of lipedema, which is you know separate from lymphedema, right? Lymphedema is a is you know excessive fluid retention uh, from your lymphatic system being dysfunctional. Um, as you mentioned, you know we do tell patients to get up and move at least every hour. Um, you know, set a set an alarm on their phone, you know, so they can you know get up and move if they, uh, especially if they have a desk job and they're not at a job where they're already moving. Um, you know, to try to avoid uh, the the excessive fluid retention, but also, you know, the thrombosis like we talked about. But um, for patients, you know, that uh, have a certain characteristic about them, and again, you can, you, can, uh, you can read the article, you can find information online about what, what lipedema looks like, but it does have a characteristic pattern where people look like they have sort of rubber bands or cuffs around their ankles and their, um, their wrists. And a lot of times you'll just see that even, even before the patient sort of fails treatment, as you suggested. Um, and again, it's it's not that they failed treatment. It's that it was the wrong treatment in the first place. Or sometimes there's overlying, right? There's a lot That's of people right. with there's lymphedema. Yep. Yeah, that have overlying lymphedema. So it's not bad to send somebody with lipedema to the lymphedema specialist. And that's sometimes also how they end up getting diagnosed, right? As you mentioned, because they're their treatment is not as effective as what, um, you know, as what you would expect in someone, you know, with just lymphedema alone. So this lipedema, I mean, I, I, I diagnose people all the time in the office with that just by sort of appearance of what their, what their fat looks like this, you know, it's, it's typically a more nodular type of, 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 of fat accumulation. You can sometimes feel like little lumps or little lipomas, you know, within their fat can ask them that do they feel like it's it's very lumpy or can they can they feel these these sort of lumps um 
And, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to treat. I mean, you still treat it with some of these sort of same lymphedema treatments, but um, it really typically requires, uh, can require um, surgery and other types of treatments uh, if, if a patient really wants to, um, you know, for, for mobility issues or, or cosmetic issues or other issues, you know, make, make it better. But focusing on not having that lymphedema on top of the lymphedema is important. And diagnosing the lymphedema too, because patients feel like they have failed, right? That they somehow are broken and, and they're doing something wrong potentially because they're, maybe they're not losing as much weight as their neighbor is on the same treatment. And they're wondering why, you know, it's something wrong with me. And lipedema is harder to treat. It's harder to get that fat. It's a dysfunctional storage of that fat where it's harder to get it out. It's harder to get it, you know, mobilized and, and out into, you know, and treated. And so they might, those patients might need surgery. They might need a higher level of intensive treatment of their obesity in order to produce the similar results as someone else. Um, but giving them the diagnosis and referring them to the Lipedema Association, um, you know, to, to understand their disease state is very helpful because it gives them a, um, makes it feel like it's not really their fault, right? That they're, they have this disease. It doesn't help the disease, but at least it helps them to sort of um, you know, understand it a little better. So my takeaway would be you have a patient, they have swelling of the lower extremities. Uh, one of the diagnostic challenges is to figure out, is it solely edema, like fluid, limp, these types of things? And if it is, is the sleep apnea going on? Is there, you know, what, what, what congestive cardiomyopathy? You know, what's going on? Or is it compression of veins due to the mm -hmm. obesity, whatever? Or is it in fact, uh, that you have a patient who has uh, abnormal deposition of fat and it's it, it's not the lymph or the fluid and whatever, although patients with lipedema, and you mentioned this, um, in addition to the de abnormal deposition of fat, also may have an increase in, in, in lymph collection as well. But the important message here is, is that uh, uh, that, that lipedema, very difficult to treat, very frustrating for patients, and, and you got to get, just like anything else, you got to get the diagnosis right. Yeah, I had a patient. She needed surgery. She needed um, a GLP-1 agonist after surgery, and then ultimately ended up having liposuction, um, you know, in her total treatment, you know, pattern in order to, to really, you know, get to the uh, treatment goal she was looking for, which mostly was around, if you looked at a picture of her mother, because, uh, lipedema or lipedema hover, <laughs> potato, potato, I'm not yeah. sure what they, um, you know, um, you know, is, is um, genetic, you know, of nature. And so again, her mother has horrific, I mean, her mother is pretty much, you know, is, is very limited mobility because of the, the uh, massive uh, lipedema that she's struggling with. And, and this patient is like, I don't, you know, want to be like my mother, right? Like, I mean, when, when I'm, um, you know, when I'm 75 years old, so um, you know, but needing that comprehensive longitudinal approach, right? That, I mean, that whole treatment I just talked about was, you know, five years of treatment, right? This was not something that happened in a year, right? Um, but she's, you know, she's, this has all just improved her quality of life and probably decreased her thrombosis risk as we talked about, right? Um, and, and that's what we're, that's what we're all about doing. Well, there you go. So I, I want to end it there. And Angela, thank you so much. I think this has been a lot of really, you know, good overview of the thrombosis. Clearly, we didn't even begin to touch the pathophysiology. But again, free online, you download it, 
you can you can get the particulars and such. But I think it's just a, a general overview about um, uh, what clinicians should think about when they're managing their patients with obesity as it pertains to thrombosis. I, I think we've given um, folks a lot of good information. So, so again, uh, Angela, thank you so much. It's been Dr. Angela Pitch. My name is Harold Bays, and you've been listening to the Obesity Medicine Association podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Obesity, a Disease. For more information about obesity medicine podcasts and other valuable resources from the clinical leaders in obesity medicine, please visit www.obesitymedicine.org backslash podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode and want to listen regularly, head over to iTunes where you can subscribe, rate, and leave us a much appreciated review. The views expressed in this episode are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily represent the opinions, beliefs, or policies of the Obesity Medicine Association or its members. Please join us again for our next episode of Obesity, a Disease.